We're continuing our sermon series this morning on the voice of God, and we'll be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 4 through 15. Uh, Before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will. For all of us as your church, and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm actually going to begin at the first verse. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and also more, if I do not make your life like the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king of Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nemesha, as king of Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shephthah, of Abomelhaho, that's how you pronounce that, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Haziel and Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was a 1972 episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers came into the house just like he normally does, singing his favorite song, taking off his jacket, putting on his sweater and his shoes. He brought in a record player with him and played a little record and then went into the kitchen to feed the fish. And it was then while he was feeding the fish that there was a little knock at the door. It was Mr. McFeely, speedy delivery, coming in to bring him a a videotape. And Mr. Rogers asked Mr. McFeely, hey, will you stay with me and watch this videotape with me? And Mr. McFeely said, I only have a minute. And that's when Mr. Rogers looked at the television audience and said, do you know how long a minute is? He went into the kitchen and brought back out an egg timer turned it to a minute and said, let's see how long a minute is. And they sat there in silence for one whole minute. Now, I can only imagine how this went over when Mr. Rogers was was uh, presenting this to the the directors and the producers of the show. They thought, you're going to sit in silence for a whole minute on television? The children are going are gonna to turn the channel. Are you kidding me? We can't sit there in dead silence and empty airtime for a whole minute. But that's exactly what he did. He sat there in silence for a minute. I thought about beginning my sermon this morning with a minute of silence. But I figured that those of you watching at home would probably be trying to fiddle with your computers wondering if there was something wrong with the sound. Or or you here in the sanctuary might start playing with your phones wondering what was taking me so long to get started. Because silence makes us feel awkward. For better or for worse, that's the way it is in our world. Our world is filled with so much noise. Our world is filled with so much action and activity that silence is a rare thing. It's an uncomfortable thing. It's an awkward thing. When you go out on a date, the last thing that you want is awkward silence. When you go for a a job interview, you don't want any awkward silence. You want to connect with your future employer. Sometimes silence can even be deafening. When you haven't talked to somebody that you love for so long and you wonder, why haven't they called me? Why haven't I called them? It can be deafening, the silence. Or even when you think about those people that you hold a grudge against, or maybe they hold a grudge against you and there's just something that's keeping you from reaching out to them. The silence can weigh so heavy and empty in our hearts. It's just deafening to us. But in our passage this morning from the book of 1 Kings, Elijah learns that God can speak through the silence too. Now you, as as Uh, Vicki told you in the children's moment, Elijah was a great prophet of God. He was a a person who was more faithful to God than anybody in ancient Israel. In fact, at the time, even the king and queen of Israel at the time were very unfaithful to God compared to Elijah. He had gone around and, and preached and told the people that they needed to repent of what they were doing, and he had done some amazing things, some amazing miracles, proving that God was the only God. Just a couple of chapters earlier, in fact, there had been this great duel on Mount Carmel. You might remember that story where Elijah invited 450 priests and prophets of Baal to come up and meet him on the top of the mountain. And they they both built two altars and the prophets of Baal marched around and marched around calling on Baal to set the altar on fire and nothing happened. 
And then Elijah, just to prove his case, poured 12 cisterns of water on the altar. And then with one quick prayer, a huge ball of fire came out of the heavens and burned up the altar. Very dramatically proving that there was one and only God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Elijah was right, and he had done so very dramatically, very loudly with action and power, this prayer that brought down fire from heaven. And you would think after something so dramatic like that, that the people of Israel would obviously follow Elijah wherever he went, do whatever he said, but in fact the exact opposite happens. Jezebel declares that Elijah is now an enemy of the state and that he will be killed. Now, for some reason there, I feel like there must be a few verses missing somewhere in there. Because Elijah, like I say, has just prayed to God, brought down fire from heaven. But now, all of a sudden, when he hears this proclamation from Jezebel, he is afraid. He's afraid for his life. Maybe somewhere in the verses that are missing, he says, Hey, God, remember what you did to those people up on the top of the mountain? Why don't you do that to Jezebel and protect me? Hey, God, can you come dramatically with power just like you did a couple of chapters ago and protect me? But for some reason, there's silence. And so Elijah falls into despair. He is afraid for his life. He goes out to the wilderness where everybody goes when they're feeling despair. And he does the unthinkable. He asks God to let him die. Despair. I would hate to think that anybody in here has ever felt that way, but I have to tell you I've expounded a lot of people in my life who have felt despair like that, just felt like giving up. I've experienced it even in the, in the past few weeks, even. People have come to me, friends of mine from around the country have come to me, a good friend of mine who just got a, a job recently, and as soon as he got his job, the business closed, and he said, I've been, Brad, I've been looking for a job for so long, and I just feel like giving up. Another friend of mine was talking to me about the, the terrible tragedy out in Texas, the, the uh, hostage situation at the synagogue, and he asked me, Brad, is there ever going to be a point in our country where people of different races and different religions can get along and stop persecuting each other? Is there ever going to be a point where people will all feel safe in this country? I just feel like giving up. Or even another minister friend of mine recently reached out and said she's struggling with COVID at her church and every time they make a new decision, church members just fight with each other and she gets in the, the crosshairs and the crossfire. She just feels like giving up. Despair. That's how Elijah feels. He's ready to give up. After all that he's done, after as faithful as he has been, after all he's tried to do to prove to the people of Israel there's only one God and now... He's ready to give up because God is not acting dramatically like Elijah wants him to do. But for some strange reason in this passage, God is intent on speaking to Elijah in a very different way. Not through a ball of fire coming down out of the sky, but through a few moments of sheer silence. And we might do well to try to listen to God in the silence as well. Because if we can hear God in the silence, not just through the big 
wonderful, dramatic, powerful things in the world, but if we can hear God in the silence, then I dare say we might be able to hear God at all times, speaking to us, leading us, guiding us, even in moments when we can't see God working anywhere else. That's what Thomas Merton says. Thomas Merton says, if you love God, then you love silence because God's first language is silence. God speaks to us even before we know language. God speaks to us through silent moments. Moments of peace, moments of quiet, moments of whispers. And in this world that is so filled with noise, if there was some way we could just listen through all of that noise and hear God's little whisper, I dare say God's speaking to us all the time, even here, even now. The great preacher John Buchanan tells a little story, probably something that you all have experienced well, as well from his own childhood. He was, uh, as a child, going up to a, a church camp like many of us did as children. And at this church camp, every year that he went, they always, every night, would have a Vesper service up on the top of the hill. And he would walk up to the top of the hill. And the rule at this Vesper service was that it always had to begin in silence. And so they would sit there for, for a few moments up on the top of the hill, just being as quiet as they could be. And then they would finally break into some campfire song, one that you probably remember. But what John Buchanan said about these moments was that he was amazed at how loud the silence was. Because there, when everybody finally quieted down their voices, he could hear birds chirping, he could hear bugs in the trees, he could see the wind and hear the wind blowing. There was so much to hear in the silence. And maybe that's what... Elijah is trying, or God is trying to teach Elijah that if you will just pause and listen to me, there is so much you can hear in the silence. Elijah goes up to the mountaintop, fast forward a few verses. The mountaintop where people normally hear God speaking. Think about Moses and the burning bush. Think about Moses and the Ten Commandments. He goes up to the mountaintop to finally hear God in a dramatic way. And drama surely comes great big wind comes, a greater wind than he had ever seen in his life. But as the wind comes and destroys everything on the mountain, Elijah pauses and says, God's not in the wind. A few seconds later, a great big earthquake comes, shaking the foundation of the ground, something powerful and dramatic. But Elijah realizes God's not in the earthquake either. And then finally, a great big ball of fire, just like the one he had seen a few, few chapters earlier. Elijah realizes God's not in that ball of fire either. It's only when the silence comes where he feels something in his heart. He realizes the Lord, his God, is about to speak. And he speaks right there, whispering to him. After all that drama is done, he speaks to him in the silence and says, you're not alone right now. There are people who still need to hear from you. Go and anoint all of those people that I couldn't pronounce just a little bit ago. Go and see those 7,000 people who are still faithful and waiting to hear from you. In the silence, God tells Elijah he's not alone. We'd like to be able to fill that silence, wouldn't we, with good things. We'd like to be able to fill that silence with great answers. When we look at the problems of the world, we would like to be able to answer all of those silent moments with answers of our own. 
But maybe what this passage teaches us is that we need to pause and listen in the silence for what God is speaking to us. I learned that, I think, probably the hard way when I was serving as a chaplain. I went to chaplain training because I thought being a chaplain, going through chaplain training was learning what to do when you're going through a crisis situation, learning what to say so that you can fix everybody's problems when they're going through crisis. Luckily, I had a chaplain with me who was training to be a rabbi. Her name was Becca, and she told me about this great little uh, pastoral uh, technique that they have, a tradition in the Jewish tradition called sitting sheva. Have you ever heard of this? I think I've even mentioned this before. Where when someone goes through a, a trauma in their life, when they lose a loved one, instead of going in and trying to say all the right words, instead of going in and trying to tell them that everything's going to be fine, quoting scripture even, they go in and for seven days, which is what sheva it means in Hebrew, seven, they sit in silence. They go and just sit and offer a ministry of presence, the ministry of their ears just listening and watching. When Becca told me about this, I said, that sounds awkward. I think it would be awkward for me to go sit in silence for someone for seven days. But then she shared with me this little story of her own life. Her grandfather had passed away, and so, of course, her congregation came and surrounded their family, just like any congregation might do. And there was one older adult from her congregation, a woman named Sophia, who, who came in and, and, and every single day for a week came to their home, came in the morning, sat in the corner of their house, and just did her knitting. Every morning she would come in without saying a word. Every afternoon she would leave with just a nod of her head, not saying a word, just sitting and listening and observing. Sometimes Becca would forget she was there. She'd go in the room and be surprised. Oh, I'm not here alone. There's somebody here with me. And then after seven days of, of sitting Shiva in this house, finally Sophia turned to leave, and for the first time she said some words in the first time of the week. She walked up to Becca and handed Becca the knitting that she had been doing. She was knitting two little socks. She handed them to Becca and said, to keep you warm. And then she left. And in those moments, while this little woman was sitting in the corner, seemingly doing nothing, she was actually doing something. She was working all the time behind the scenes, even though it didn't seem like she was doing much of anything. She was just sitting, listening, being present, and working. God is always working in our lives. Even when we can't see God working dramatically and in big ways, our faith tells us that God is always working, weaving, never leaving us alone. And that even in the silence, we can trust that God is there providing for us, finding ways to keep the silence not empty, but full, full of God's presence, full of God's care, full of God's providence, full of God's love. And what a thing it would be to be able to hear God in the silence, to know that even in the silent times, even in the undramatic times, even in our empty times, that we're not alone. So it was 25 years later, after that egg timer, Mr. Rogers was on TV again. This time he was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award on the Emmy, the Emmy Awards. 
He walked up to, to give a big speech on the stage, and this time, instead of using an egg tire, timer, he just used his watch. And he looked out at all the people sitting there in the audience, and he said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to sit in silence for one minute and think about the people who have loved you into being. You can imagine what those people up in the production booth were thinking. One minute of silence on primetime television? People are going to turn the channel. People are going to leave. We can't have empty, dead silence on TV. But then the cameras panned around the room to the faces of people like you. Faces of people with eyes welled up with tears thinking about those people who had loved them into being. People who had helped them get right where they are. And for some reason, that minute of silence didn't seem empty at all it seemed full it seemed like those people in that room were quiet but they sure were not alone they were surrounded by all the people who had loved them in the being all the people who had cared for them all of the people who had helped them get where they were elijah hears god's voice in the silence and he realizes if I can hear God in the silence, I know that even in those desperate times, I'm not alone. Even in the silence, my heart is full. To the glory of God. Amen.